Matthew chapter 9, we're talking about uh, being new wineskins and change, and our, the- our, our theme for this year is new, and everything we're talking about is new, and the idea of things being new, and Matthew chapter 9 is the text for this series, and as I read the text, would you stand for the reading of God's word? Matthew chapter 9, beginning of verse 14 says, then John's disciples came to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast often? But your disciples do not fast. Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests be sad while the groom is with them? The time will come when the groom will be taken away from them and then they will fast. No one patches an old garment with unshrunk cloth because the patch pulls away from the garment and makes the tear worse. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise the skins burst, the wine spills out and the skins are ruined. No, they put new wine into fresh wineskins and both are preserved. You may be seated. Once again, the idea Here, what Jesus is talking about is the new life that he gives us when we accept him as our savior. You can't put Jesus' new life into your old ways. As much as we try, as much as many people try, we don't want to let go of the past. We don't want to let go of our, our, let's just be honest, we don't want to let go of our sinful ways. Jesus said, if you are going to grow and be productive my way with the new life I've given you, you have got to step into the new. You have got to, I've already made you new, but you've got to start living as new. You've got to start doing new things, new ways. And that's what we're looking at. That's what we've been talking about most of this year. It's all about new, looking at everything we do through a different lens, a new lens, not just for us in our lives, but for us as a church. Now I've said it over and over again, and I'll continue to say it. The plan that God has laid out for his people in this time is ministry through the local church. Local church, local church, local church. That's what the New Testament teaches. It's all about being part of a local church, working through a local church. It's it's great that we have these these assets that can help us out. It's great that we have uh, online church so that people who aren't able to attend, whether it's health, or whether it's work schedule or whatever the case may be, that's great that you can still be here when you're not able to be here. But make no mistake, God's plan, listen real close, God's plan is for you to be here live. That's what God's ultimate plan is for the church, is for us to gather together, not over the airwaves, although that that is a great connection, but it's not a replacement for God didn't say gather together on Facebook Live with me. He said come together and meet together. So that's God's plan. And his plan is for us to draw our strength and to grow through and in and with the ministry of a local church. Now we've talked a lot about changes. And I've mentioned to you that we're going to be rolling out a new philosophy, doing things according to a new philosophy. And that's what I'm going to start preaching about today. (laughs) The new philosophy that we're talking about. It's not change simply for the sake of change, because that's just foolishness. That's just, um, that's just kind of throwing stuff against the wall to see what sticks. But it's change for a purpose. First of all, let me say this. We weren't doing anything wrong or sinful. Okay. We weren't doing anything wrong or sinful at New Life. I I want you to understand that. We don't have to repent and get right with God. We don't have to have a coming to Jesus moment because of the way we ran our church or the focus and emphasis of our services and programs. But there comes a point in time where everything runs its course. I I have, uh, you all know, I've had a lot of surgeries on my leg. And it stems from two major injuries, a broken foot that was never set and never healed when I was in the army. Then the, the joints just deteriorated and ended up having to be fused and a blown out knee. I had a catastrophic knee injury in the army. Because of that, I have to do certain things just like you have to do certain things because of situations or injuries or, or illnesses that you have. One of those things that I have to do is wear the right shoes. Now, I wear Nike Air Pegasus, okay? They are designed specifically for people with orthopedic, especially knee injuries. These are my Sunday Nike Air Pegasus, 
I have a pair of Air Pegasus for the gym. And then I have a pair of Air Pegasus for just banging around throughout the day. I do that because if I, wear, if I just wore moccasins or flip-flops, it would, it would cause major pain. It's just, it's just the way it is. Now these are air pegasus, so that means in the soul, there are air pockets that are built into it. There comes a time when those air pockets are worn out, and all the life of the soul is worn out. I know it because I start to feel it. I have to admit that I need to now spend the money on a new pair of shoes and make a change. It's just the way it is. And you know how you are with, we, we all get very comfortable with things that we have. They're broken in, they, they fit perfectly, right? But there comes a time when you have to admit that I have to make a change. That's where we are in our church. We're at a place where what we've been doing all this time has run its course. And we have to realize it's time, if we're going to move forward, if we're going to address what's going on in the world and reach our community, and most importantly, if we're going to build the people and the church that God has, has given to this church and commanded us to minister to, we're going to have to make a change. I believe that as I've, as I've spent this last year um, just, kind of, just kind of examining and looking and, and spending a lot of time meditating and and uh, th meditation is just thinking with a purpose, by the way, and praying about it, I've, I've come to realize that I have to admit that something is off. Something isn't working quite right. And quite honestly, something hasn't been working quite right for quite a while. I believe that what is missing is balance. I believe we're missing balance. From all that time spent praying and meditating and observing, I've realized that we as a church don't have any problem drawing people to our church. For crying out loud, we have 6,000 people come out for one event. We've had 800 people come out for an event. We have no problem drawing people out. And we actually have no problem getting people to visit the church. Where we fail and where we've struggled is to get people to commit first and grow second. Because you'll never grow until you commit. So we, we've, got to, we, we, we've failed in the area of getting people to commit and then people, getting people to grow. And that's what we need to, to address. We've gotten out of balance and it's affected many critical and crucial areas of our church, especially overall church health. Quite honestly, that's why we've had some problems in the past. Functional churches don't have major split issues. Understand that. Functional churches don't blow themselves up. Functional churches don't shoot themselves in the foot. Yet that's been a trademark of new life for quite a while. Just being honest. We shoot ourselves in the foot. Functional churches don't do that. So we have to look at ourselves and say, what is it that's out of balance? I believe what's happened is that we haven't deepened people in their knowledge of the word, its depth, how it applies to life, morality, especially how it applies to family, how the word applies to family. One of the greatest struggles that people have had over this last year is they haven't known how to be with their children all day long. Okay? That's a, that's a big deal. People don't realize, don't know how to be with their children all day long and how to take advantage of that time. And it's been a, it's, it's been a struggle. That's where, that's where a lot of counseling has come in. And, and <clears throat> as I, here's a scary thought, by the way. I still, we still host a, a uh, foster adoptive uh, support group through DCF, but we do it virtually every third Thursday of the month. And I'm one of the facilitators. <sighs> and we were talking last month, and the, the director of Don Sweetman, uh, the director of the, the adoption unit in DCF said this, and this is scary, Risa. They are gearing up for when society opens back up again because they know they're going to have to take many, many kids into care because kids have not been seen 
for a year. Understand this, when you send your children to school, I don't want to scare you, but I want to make sure that you're understanding what's going on. When you send your kids to school, those teachers are not only trying to teach them, those teachers are also observing them. And if those teachers see something off, if your kid wears the same clothes for a week, if your kid smells like they haven't seen a bar of soap in a while, if your child is overly hungry, then that teacher is mandated by the state to say something. If, that, if your kid comes in with bruises, if your kid tells a wild story, my, my boys, we had to t- chat with them a little bit. It's like, guys, let's keep the fantasy at home, okay? Let's not go home and talk about um, big jets that crash into the house and stuff because, you know, we want to make sure that we're being truthful and honest because people are listening and they are gearing up to remove children from home. It's kind of a scary thought if you want to be honest about it. So one of the areas that that we have failed is the deepening of faith and how that applies to every area of life, especially the family. One of the things that uh, Pastor Zvaldo has talked with me a lot about is teaching family in this church and talking about family and talking about being successful families and foundational uh, family units. Quite honestly, the target of our church is young families, families with children. That's the bullseye of the target. I mean, everybody's on that target, but the bullseye of our target is young families because we want to be a generational church. Well, if we're not building functional Christian families, how do we expect to reach other families and bring them in and help them to become functional? So we have to look at that and see these are all the things that go into leading a church and examining a church and seeing what you're doing and seeing if what you're doing is correct. I really just don't work one day a week. I do a whole lot more than that. So I've had to look at it and examine it and say, where are we failing? And I look at families that we have in our church right now, and that's why I'm so excited about Awana. Because I, I look at Jimmy Arias, and bless his heart, man, he's got like the father's dream, three young boys. And that's going to be like a fasting and prayer moment when, he, when they become teenagers. Because that's when... That's when the authorities learn your address. When you've got three teenage boys that are, you know, raised by Jimmy or influenced by my son, oldest son, Zach. And uh, no lie, I can say this now because it's been about over 10, 12 years. When we switched houses and moved into the parsonage, I went into the basement and I found golf course flags and I had to return them to the Franconia golf course that... um, had been borrowed <laughs> that were just stuck in the basement. But um, we need to make sure that we're preparing families, preparing men, preparing women, preparing husbands and wives, and preparing Christians to live life. If we're going to affect this community, if we're going to affect our area, our world for Jesus Christ, that means we must invest in deepening our people. And that means that we must have a change in philosophy. Winning the world to Jesus is a priority. There's no doubt about it. Winning the world to Jesus is a priority. That's why Jesus died. But building up believers in their faith is a priority as well. And we can do both. And I believe we will do both. We can accomplish both. It's not that difficult. What it takes is commitment and a plan. And we will be excellent at both. That's the goal. Not only do we need both, we will accomplish both. And what we're going to do is plan and work diligently to execute what the Bible commands us to do on our end as a church and then passionately make our case for spiritual growth to anyone that God brings our way. One of the things our boys do they did it when they, I don't, I don't know if you went, went through this with your, your, your girls, but our boys, when they first moved in, and it was for the first couple of years, especially Michael, when it came to dinner time, they'd sit down, they wouldn't eat. They just weren't going to eat. They were going to punish us, and they were going to prove to us that they were in control and they were not going to bend to us 
and they, they were just fine. Now, this is the, the kid thinking. They, they've been removed. Remember, we were their sixth home. They, they've gone to other homes before. So they're just ready to pack up and leave. In fact, one day, Michael just, when the social worker came for the visit, this would be pre-adoption, when the social worker came to visit, Michael just followed her out and got in the car with her. <laughs> we had to pull him out. Of, she had to take him out of the car. We didn't. But they just wouldn't eat. They just sit there and wouldn't eat. And we talked to, we met with a psychologist, uh, Dr. Cynthia Monahan, about it. And she said, don't make them eat. Enough days of going hungry, and they'll start eating. You know what? We didn't make a fuss. We put it in front of them. If they didn't want to eat, they didn't eat. And after a couple days of that, not making a big deal of it, they ate. What I say, I say that to say this. As a church, it's our responsibility to provide spiritual food, to bring a meal to you. And then what we have to do after that is encourage you to come to the table hungry and continue and prove to this church and to the people that we are going to be consistent in offering a balanced spiritual diet. In this sermon, we're going to talk about the new philosophy that I'm going to be presenting that we'll be establishing over the course of the next year. It's not going to happen all at once. It's going to take time. It's really not that complicated. It's actually pretty much quite straightforward, but it's also new, and it will require effort, commitment, and investment from all of us here at New Life. It's going gonna, it's gonna to require investment, folks. One of the things that we've come to learn over this last year, one of, one of the things we've become comfortable with is that we've made up our own schedule and we found out that we can do everything we want to do from home, right? So it's going to require investment in your, from your part. It's going to require you being willing to change your schedule and being, become inconvenienced for the ministry. Parents, it's going to require you being, becoming inconvenienced for the spiritual health and growth of your children, yourself, and your family as a whole. New life, it's going to require an investment of your time and perhaps an inconvenience of your life to be here and invest, not just in yourself, but in others as well. We know Wednesdays don't work for me. Let me tell you, that excuse isn't going to fly anymore. I can't make you be here. I can't drag you out of your house. But I'm not good. No longer are we going to be catering to cowards. I say that lovingly. I can be catering to cowards anymore. You have got to be willing to make a sacrifice for the kingdom of God in your own life. You can't buy God off by putting an extra offering in the offering plate. You have got to be willing to come to church and Bible studies hungry for the word of God. And you've got to be willing to make a sacrifice of your precious schedule. Oh, I don't have time. Listen, would you like to sit down with me and talk to me about my schedule and the things that I've had to endure this past year? Did you know I had to do the funeral for a woman whose husband murdered her and then shot himself? That's been part of my year. A dear friend of mine and my family's. That's just one small thing. So I know what you're going through. In fact, I probably know a whole lot more because there's a reason why pastors were the, one of the first ones to get the vaccine, because of all the things we've had to endure. I'm willing to make that sacrifice. I'm willing to make the sacrifice with my family. You need to be willing to make the sacrifice and the investment because I'm not doing this for myself. Pastor Osvaldo is not spending all that time at home preparing. Pastor Zach's not spending all that time doing what he's doing. Jonathan's not spending all the time he's doing, getting things ready back there just for our health and just for a good time. We're doing it because we know what it takes to build people and to build a church. But the fact is, we can do everything we want unless you're willing to commit and invest. It's not going to work. <clears throat> as we re begin to reopen our church, 
We'll be entering a different world than the one that was shut down just about a year ago. There'll be lots of differences, lots of difference, lots of news. I was talking to one lady yesterday in the grocery store who went the wrong way up the aisle. Oh, oh no. You know, I'm waiting, I'm waiting for them to put alarms and lights at the ends of the aisle. And if you go in the wrong way, it's going to go off and they're going to put you on Facebook and shame you. They went the wrong way. And one, one guy, he was with his wife, and he was really indignant. He said, she said, you're going the wrong way. He says, listen, I need tacos right there. I'm going to get them. I'm not walking all the way around. I'm like, oh, my gosh. I don't care, man. That's fine. But I was talking with this lady, just kind of chatting, and she said, yeah, in about a year, we should be back. I was like, a year? What are you talking about, a year? Man? I'm, looking, I'm looking for this stuff to end by summer, man. Come on, what are you talking about, a year? There's going to be a lot, of new, a lot of difference, a lot of new. And if we're going to effectively reach out to a world that needs Jesus more than they can imagine, but a world that is even more jaded towards Christ than they were when this all started. Understand that. The world is more jaded towards Jesus now than they were a year ago. They truly are. It's imperative that we prepare our, ourselves, we prepare our people for the work. And this brings us to that first priority. And that first priority, I believe, begins with understanding exactly what a church is supposed to be about. What exactly a church is supposed to be for. And, and to do that, and let me define what philosophy is, because sometimes we use words and people don't always understand what we're saying, and I'm not trying to speak down to anybody, just trying to give you some information. The word philosophy simply, or a philosophy, is simply a specific set of ideas of a person or a group. It's a game plan. It's how you approach things. It's how you approach life. What's your philosophy of life? When I was a teamster, a teamster for 12 years working the loading docks, our philosophy was um, we give an honest day's work for an honest day's pay. You expect somebody to pay you a good wage, but they, ex they can in turn expect you to go in and do a job. We have business owners here. And listen, when you're, when you're going to pay somebody, you expect them to do the job and give you their best effort every time because you're giving them money to do that work. So a philosophy is simply a set of ideas that guide us in what we're doing. Why do we need this new philosophy? Because we've used the philosophy, come and see, uh, being seeker sensitive for about 15 years, and it's run its course. It truly has. And it's time to change. What's going to be the foundation of this new philosophy? Two things. The first one is, is same song, second verse, right? Relationships build churches. We're not going away from that. Relationships build churches. That is the ultimate come and see. Jesus taught that. The disciples taught that. Can any good thing come out of blah, blah, blah? Come and see. Come and see. Come and see. So we're still going to, and in the church, listen, the, bre the best pressure to be good and to do right is peer pressure. Of course, the best pressure to cause you to become terrible and get away from things is peer pressure as well. But we want that positive peer pressure. So relationships build churches. You getting on the phone and talking to your friends and inviting them to come out to church on Wednesday nights and not just Sunday mornings is a whole lot more effective than me standing up here saying we're having a Wednesday night Bible study. So relationships build churches is still going to be one of our mantras. And the other one is this. If we take care of the depth of our church, God will take care of the breadth of our church. If we deepen ourselves and our brothers and sisters in our most holy faith, then the faith that we live will become the faith that we learn. I mean, the faith that we learn will become the faith that we live. And by living that faith, there will be an overflow into the lives of other people. We will begin lifting Jesus up to the world. And Jesus said, when I am lifted up, I will draw everyone to me. And that's what we're going to do. So it's going to be two foundational thoughts. So we're going to work on growing deeper as a church, as a body of believers, 
and as individuals while at the same time reaching out to our community. I'll use a phrase that is very common, very popular in governmental uh, arenas today. We're going to walk and chew gum at the same time. Okay? Not that difficult. We're going to be those five tool players that baseball GMs crave that can do it all. That's what we're going to be. Listen, you're, you may not be gifted to work in certain areas of ministry, but what our goal is to, to do is to help you become a jack of all trades and then become the master of what God has called you to be. Be a fit servant who is not ashamed of their faith and can speak out and talk about the things of God while still being able to focus on the area of ministry to which God has called you. And that's functionality as a follower of Jesus. In America today, the church has morphed into many different roles, some of which it was never intended to have. Politics and... and, um, you know that 70% of Americans believe the church has too much influence in politics? Listen, I don't believe the church should have an influence. I don't believe we should have a presence in politics. I know some of you don't like that. I believe we as individual citizens should. Okay? You want to run for office? Wonderful. I think having your Christian principles involved in that and, and leading and guiding you in your government role, that's awesome. But as a church, it is not my obligation as the pastor or my responsibility as the pastor to lead political change. That is a distraction from the ministry and the call of God. Matthew 28, 19, and 20 is the Great Commission. It has, says nothing, absolutely nothing about influencing the government. In fact, Jesus was born as a Jew into bondage of the Roman government. You realize that, right? Two great qualities of Jesus that are never talked about. Jesus was adopted. Did you know that? Jesus was adopted. We keep telling our boys this, our youngest sons this. Jesus was adopted. Joseph wasn't his biological father. Joseph adopted Jesus. So Jesus was adopted. And secondly, Jesus wasn't a politician. Jesus was born into a system of you might not want to call it slavery, but, they, but, but Israel was in bondage under the Roman government. They had been overtaken by the Romans. Jesus never once led a political rebellion. He came to bring the message of love and grace and repentance and sacrifice and to finish the work of redemption for all of mankind. If God has called you into the political arena, if God has called you to be a member of the school board and to bring... See, here's, here's, here's what I believe we as Christians, when we get involved in the political re arena as citizens, need to do. We need to bring our faith and our, our morality and our biblical principles to the way we perform our duty in government. You talk to Melvin Edwards sometimes and the way he approaches things. As, as a city councilor. And it's incredible. Aaron, Aaron, Aaron had to interview him for a leadership course that she was taking in college. She's, uh, Aaron should graduate, her, she should finish her bachelor's by the end of the summer. And she, was, she, she interviewed Melvin, there was a long interview. I was listening to the interview, I was, I was eavesdropping. And I listening to the interview while they talked on, on the phone. It was amazing to listen to Melvin and the principles that he, the principles of his faith that he brings to his job as a city councilor. Do you know that he's the longest serving city councilor in Springfield? He's been on the city council longer than anybody. We have, those of you who live in Springfield and those of us in the Springfield area, we have a Christian godly man who is the longest tenured city councilor in Springfield. It's amazing. And he lives it and he brings those principles. That's what we do and that's what we do in all our jobs. But it's not the role of the church to be involved in politics. Yes, that's where the church has gotten, has, has what the church has become. The church has gotten into health care. And while that's a great pursuit, that's not the call of the church. All of these things, the church has gotten, and I'm not saying those are bad things. I'm not saying having, uh, having feeding centers and things like that are bad because we meet people, we meet their needs that way. But when those become our primary focus, 
We miss the point of what we're supposed to be. Those are supposed to be means to an end. The ministries that we get involved in in community and outreach are supposed to be means to an end. The end is to tell them about Jesus Christ, not simply to meet their physical needs. So as we get into this philosophy, the first thing I want to divine is this. What is a church? What is a church? Now, we get the word church from the Greek word ekklesia. And ekklesia does not necessarily, it does not, its original meaning in the Greek is not one of church. It's important that we understand the meaning the, the original meaning of the word ecclesia that we draw the word church from. And there's the etymology of the word uh, church is, is long and complicated, and it goes through different, uh, different um, uh, languages to finally get to the word church. But its, its root is the word ecclesia from the Greek. And that does not mean a religious gathering. Okay? What it means is a gathering of citizens called out from their homes into some public place, quite often for a political purpose. So it's a, the, the meaning of ecclesia is a group of people coming together in the same place for a purpose. And it wasn't just politics, it was other things. It was many other, just, just normal meetings. The church, the early church, adopted that word to talk about themselves. That's where, for those of you who grew up in the Assemblies of God, that's where Assemblies of God get their title, Assembly. Because that's what an ecclesia is. It's an assembly. It's a group of people coming together into a place for a purpose. Do you see now why local church is so important? Because that's the very definition of the word. Coming together in the same place for a purpose. Practically speaking, a church is a multifunctional entity that meets various needs and purposes, spiritual, emotional, and physical, for born-again followers of Jesus. That's the practical function of a church. Now understand, in that definition I put multifunctional, I could have also very easily just put the one word functional. Because it, is, it should be the goal of a church, of a local church, to be a functional entity. We should not be filled with dysfunction. It doesn't mean we don't have dysfunctional people within our church. We're all imperfect. But we as a church should be functional. What does it take to be a functional church? That's what we're going to be talking about. <clears throat> what is a church to be? What are the purposes? Now, not purpose-driven, but what are, what are the purposes? There's six purposes I want to share with you over the next two weeks of what a church is supposed to be. The first, thing I want, the first purpose I want to talk about is this. A church is to be a place of worship. A church is to be a place of worship. That begs the question, what is worship? What do we mean when we talk about worship? What do we mean when we say we need to be worshipers? We need to worship God. We come together for the worship portion of the service. What does that mean? Because many times as Christians, not just as Christians, but in any, any area of life, but especially as Christians, we have our own language. We have our own words. And even though we use them all the time, we don't always understand what they mean. And they may have taken on a meaning that we didn't necessarily mean for them to have. So let's define what we mean by worship. What is worship? Worship, first of all, is a time for us to remember God. The first purpose of worship, I believe, is for us to take time to remember God. What is it that we need to remember about God? Listen, there, maybe you've been there. You need to sometimes remember the love of God in your life, right? I love that hymn, that old hymn, the love of God. The love of God is greater far than, uh, than tongue or pen could ever tell. It reaches greater far beyond the highest, highest hills or, or lowest hell, something like that. But a, I love the, the phrasing and the wording of that, of that song because it talks about the love of God. And it says, if, if, every, if the, the, the 
Every stalk on earth was a quill, and if the ocean was filled with ink, and every man was a scribe by trade, we still would not be able to, there, there is no scroll that could contain the whole of God's love. So worship is a time for us to remember God, to remember his love. Because man, sometimes, especially in times like we're living in right now, when people have that question, why would a loving God do this? We need to remember God's love, and we do that when we worship. We need to remember God's grace. Some of us need to remember where we came from, right? And why is it so important to remember where we came from? Because there's going to be people come into this church and into your life just like you were. And you can very quite, very quick, it's, it's a trait of Christians to become holier than thou. And along with the holier-than-thou mentality becomes the judgment of others. And we tend to forget who we were and what, it, what God had to do to get our attention and the grace that he extended to us and the things that he forgave about us to bring us to where we are. So when we worship, we, you were, the, the ladies were singing a song this morning, and I forget what song it was, but it might have been the... Might have been the, the second or the last song. And it hit me. And I, I've, I've told the worship team, I had to deal with, we had a meeting a couple weeks ago. And I said, listen, I, I stand during worship, but my, my other hip has to be replaced now. And it's, it takes a toll. I go home after, after church and I sit all day because my legs are just, they're, they're just shot. So I try to preserve myself as much as I can on Sunday mornings. But I couldn't sit this morning. I couldn't sit during worship this morning. And one of the songs, and I, it, it, my mind is blanking, but one of the songs grabbed me and it choked me up. You, you got me. You got me in the feels, as they say, right? And it choked me up because I was reminded of the love of God and his grace and his mercy to me. And that's what worship is. Worship is a time for us to remember God, remember the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. What we're coming to, together on Easter for, why we're going to have one service, is so that we as a church family, as a church body, can come together and remember and worship Jesus for what he did. Do you realize he's the only reason most of us know each other? The only reason most of us know each other is because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Friendships that you've built in your life that will last forever, that will last for eternity, are because of the grace and sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So when we come together to worship, we remember his sacrifice. Worship is also a time for us to thank God, to thank him for his goodness. That's what, that's when we talk about praise and worship, the praise part is thanking God. Lord, I lift your name on high. Lord, I love to sing your praises. I'm so glad you're in my life. I'm so glad you came to save us. You came from heaven to earth to show the way. From the earth to the cross, my debt to pay. From the cross to the grave, from the grave to the sky, Lord, I lift your name on high. That's praise. That's thanking Jesus for what he did for us. And that's part of our praise. <clears throat> and worship is a time for us to unify as a body of believers on our common ground. And as I said, our common ground is Jesus Christ. We may not agree on, any, uh, on much of anything else in life. We may come from different... One of, the, one of the big reasons here at this church we don't get involved in politics is because we come from a broad spectrum in this church. Other pastors can't believe we have a church like this. I'm just going to tell you that. Other pastors cannot believe that we have a church of people that are like half and half. People who are... Uh, on one side of the political spectrum and people who are on the other side of the political spectrum. And then some people who are down the middle and I'd rather watch a Dodgers game than listen to a debate. Okay? But we make it work here because that stuff is for out there. And we worship God to come together and unify as a body of believers. That's one thing that worship does. It helps us to unify as a body of believers on our common ground. Our common ground is Jesus. We always have to remember that. He is the reason we're here. Our common ground. John chapter 4, 
Verses 23 and 24, Jesus was speaking to the woman at the well. He says, but an hour is coming and now is here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, in purpose and honesty. Okay? Honest worship. Listen, you come here and you just sling a little snot during a song and wave your hand and, wave and sway back and forth just to put on a show. That's not honest worship. But when a song causes one of our one of our, our, uh, our singers up here, I don't even have a better word for that, to be brought to tears and emotion, and they pray afterwards, and they, and they, they crack, or they, they feel compelled to share their testimony in between a song. Man, that's honest, true worship. And when it brings you to, to tears or to pl a place of emotion, remember, don't ever, be, don't ever be ashamed of the emotions that God gave you. Gentlemen, it's okay to cry. It's okay to be overwhelmed by the grace of God. It happens to me quite often. And sometimes it's while I'm driving, and that's not a good thing. You ever been driving, and you're singing along with a song, and people start staring at you, and like, oh, no, I'm on a conversation with the phone. I'm talking with someone on the phone. Honest worship. That's what he wants from us. He says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Psalm 150, verses 1 through 6, hallelujah, praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty expanse. Praise him for the powerful acts. Praise him for his abundant greatness. Praise him for the blast of a ram's horn. Praise him with harp and lyre. Praise him with the tambourine and dance. Whoops, that was always an uncomfortable one to speak about in a Baptist church. Praise him with tambourine and with dance whoops praise him with strings and flute praise him with resounding cymbals praise him with clashing cymbals let everything that breathes play, praise the Lord hallelujah Jesus said even the rocks would cry out if you wouldn't give me praise man it's an honor and a privilege to be able to praise and worship Jesus Christ. We need to see it that way. Colossians 3, 16. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, and, in all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. We are commanded as a church to have a time of praise and worship Colossians 3.16, as a church, we are to come together and celebrate our faith in Jesus and celebrate all that he's done for us. Celebrate the fact that he loved us enough to die. And praise him for the fact that he has preserved us and protected us and provided for us. And every day is new with him. Praise him for the great things he's done. So church is supposed to be a place of worship. Secondly, and this is the last one we'll talk about this morning, church is supposed to be a place of personal growth. We can call it discipleship if you want. But anytime we use the term discipleship, people, and maybe this is, maybe this is one of the mistakes we make uh, as, in leadership in presenting programs, because anytime you talk about discipleship, people think, um, well, I already went through a discipleship class. Man, discipleship is just being a disciple or being a student of something. In baseball, you can be a disciple of the Charlie Lau hitting school. Charlie Lau was the, the hitting instructor to the, to the pros. The Red Sox used the Charlie Lau method for many years where they follow through with one hand, right? If you ever watched baseball players who swing and they follow through with one hand, that's a Charlie Lau method of, 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 uh, of hitting. You'd be a disciple of Ted Williams, who is all about the eye. You'd be a disciple of the new concept of, of, uh, of leading your baseball swing with the, the knob of the bat instead of the barrel. Because for years it was taught to bring the barrel through the strike zone, but now they're teaching to throw the knob of the bat into the strike zone and the barrel will follow. So discipleship is not just learning the basics, it's being a student of something. The purpose of a church 
is to be a place of personal growth. A place where you as an individual follower of Jesus Christ come to grow in your faith. Come to learn about the Bible. Come to learn about the things that God has said to you and wants you to understand and know. And come to a place of community where you can share in the experience of learning with others. And you can ask questions. One of the reasons why I really encourage these small groups on Wednesday night is not that I don't want people to come and listen to my Bible study. It's because in a small group, people are much more comfortable to ask questions, to have conversations. If we've got 50 people in here, then it's not always going to be everybody gets their questions asked and answered. But if you're in a small group, especially among women, for women just, it's something I've always, always come to know, and I've, as I've talked with women about it, um, and men, men feel less intimidated to have to be smart they can actually be vulnerable in, in learning in a group of men. And women actually feel empowered to speak with other women and to ask questions because sometimes, gentlemen, we can tend to try to dominate things. And it's better for people, I believe, to be in a situation where they're comfortable to learn the best way for themselves. We're designed, purposed, and commanded to grow. We are designed to grow. We're designed to learn. Science tells us that by the time we die, we end up using, what, about 25% of our brain? I believe that's uh, a result of the fall of humanity. I don't believe God designed us to have all that extra space. I believe God created man in his own image with the, the, uh, uh, with the purpose of using that entire brain to grow and learn. It's amazing what we're learning about the human mind and how that affects everything in our lives. And I believe when we get to heaven, when all things are restored, when, when creation is restored, I believe we will have, the, we will have uh, the, the perfect mind, the perfect brain that will be able to be used and expanded in the way it was intended. So our brain is designed to grow. We're designed to learn. We're designed to have a hunger and a desire to more, to, to learn more and to explore. We're purposed to grow. That's why the Bible talks about personal growth. And we're commanded to grow. And that's the part we don't like because we don't like to be told what to do. We are commanded to grow. Jesus Christ commands us to grow. The, the writings of Paul and Peter and James and John, all inspired by the Holy Spirit, are commands from God for us to grow. Once again, if we take care of the depth of our church... God will take care of the breadth of our church. What is growth? Growth is simply learning about our faith from the Bible, the only true standard for all things in the Christian faith. You don't need to be reading psychology books to understand the Bible. You read the Bible and then apply that to the study of psychology. Okay, you see everything in life through the lens of the Bible. Understanding how the teachings of the Bible interact with our lives and the world around us is something we need to learn and understand. How do I, how do I take the principles of the Bible and live out there in the world? How do, do, I, do I use that? Listen, I don't believe God wants us to all be in a cookie cutter for voting purposes. I believe that God give, gave us a mind and a will and a thought and a passion in our hearts. And we are to take the principles of the word of God and apply them to everything, even to what causes we work in and support in our, in our personal lives. And sometimes the cause you work in is different than the cause I would work in. Incorporating the principles of the Bible, weaving them into every phase of our lives, our personal life, our family life, our marriages, our work and our relationships, to the point that Jesus is lifted up and we take a back seat. Listen, it may surprise you and it may make some of you chuckle a little bit, so I, when I coach baseball, I pray and ask God to help me be the coach that those little boys need. Because some of those little boys don't have a father figure. Some of those little boys don't get any encouragement at all. And it's just baseball, man. I had one kid last year that got into the batter's box 
And you could tell he was pressured in his life to succeed. He has so much pressure in him to succeed. And he would get in the batter's box and he would, a couple times he started crying because he was so nervous. And I called timeout. I called him, I said, come here, man. And he, he, he was like, what did I do wrong? What did I, do? I said, come here. I came over to, I, I knelt down, I bent down to him and I said, listen, bud, this is baseball. This is fun. If you strike out, you strike out. If you hit a home run, you hit a home run. What's important is you have a good time. Relax, calm down, enjoy yourself. You don't have to be the greatest in the world. It's just baseball. Boy, you could see a change because he just calmed down. He actually got a hit. Pretty cool. But that is taking the principles of of the word of God into being, uh, being an encourager in everything we do. 2 Peter 3.18 says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and to the day of eternity. And Acts 2.42 is a great model for us as a church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Amazing. Amazing. What can happen if we follow through on the purpose of personal growth and discipleship for ourselves and our church? as we move forward. Hey, come back next week. Join us next week if you have to watch us on Facebook because we're going to delve into four more purposes of the church, what we're here for, what we're designed for, and how we're going to accomplish these things as we move forward. Thank you so much for being here today and your attendance. It's awesome to, to see people coming out. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your love and mercy and grace. Lord, we praise you and we worship you for all you've done. God, I pray that as we Uh, As we go from this place this morning, this first service, may you be honored and glorified in our lives. And Father, as we uh, continue to serve you throughout this week, God, would you not just open doors for us, but show us those open doors so that we'll have the the knowledge and the courage and the will to walk through it. Lord, bless us with the knowledge that we've gained, and may we uh, go home and chew on it for this week and get all the nourishment out of it that you want us to have. In your name we pray. Amen.